welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Doing What You Don't Want to Do, and it is part of the Stretch Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Well, you look so great today. Thank you for being here. And uh, I, I know that God is, uh, we, know, we don't just need information, we need transformation. And we believe, we really believe here at Bethany Community Church that when we come together, yes, we want to give you good information. I hope to give you something from the Word of God today. I believe God's put something on my heart that will really help you in your life. And uh, so there's a lot of good information from the Word of God. But we believe, the Bible says, we're two or three together together. He is in the midst. And that's what the scripture that at least read to you all ago, that God is among us. So we believe when we come together like this, and this is one of the reasons I really fought to get our churches reopened. I, I, I appeal to our state rep uh, to get our churches open because we needed to bring God's people together because something happens. Of course, we're, we welcome those of you that are watching by live stream even today. We're so glad you're connecting with us. And that, that is a coming together. But for those of you that are here in the house today, I just want you to know that you're, because you're here today, you're activating something in the spirit world in your own behalf and in behalf of the people around you that is transformational, not just informational. It's not even just inspirational. It's transformational. What God does when God's people come together and the Holy Spirit moves among them. So thank you for being, for, I know for some people it's a step of faith these days to go to a meeting where you're going to be with other people. I know that. I understand that. But we're supposed to live with courage. And so I admire you for that. We, we were, the first service was socially distanced packed. We had, uh, we had, I don't know the number in here, but we had 39 children in children's church with, with the workers. We had 47 and we had nine in the happy place with the workers. So give the Lord a hand for that. Amen. So uh, I want us to go to Jonah chapter 3. Now, let me just, uh, for those of you who hadn't been here for the other two sermons, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, this series is called Stretch. So we're talking about God stretching us, God taking us, as a cliche, out of our comfort zone. So let's look at, at Jonah. Who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet in the nation of Israel. And uh, Israel's nemesis was Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Syria. And the people of Syria and Nineveh specifically were really nasty people. They were really bad people. I know some of you uh, people today kind of struggle with the doctrine of hell. And, uh, but uh, when you meet people like the people of Nineveh, you believe in hell. Because you know they're the kind of people that should go to hell, right? They're the kind of people that should spend eternity because they, were, they, were, they would skin people alive. They would cut people's heads off and then they would, make your, they would make their friends and family carry their heads around on a stick worshiping and, and praising their might and their power. They, they, would, they would cut off, they would capture somebody, they would cut off all their limbs except for the right arm and that's so they could shake their hand and congratulate them as they died. 
they would, and, and, and they would put all this. They didn't have video cameras back then, and they didn't have art, artists and all that. So they, had, uh, they, would, they would depict all of their atrocities on stone relief tablets so everyone could see what horrible people they were. And they invaded Israel. They destroyed Samaria, and they were, they were charging Israel a tax. They were charging them a tribute. But not like you. I know, I know you say, hey, what's different? We get charged a tribute too. We pay taxes. But yeah, you get to drive down a nice paved road um, down the interstate. You get, you get, to, you, you get uh, uh, various benefits from your taxes. And, and not only that, you get, you get the joy of knowing that some of your tax dollars goes to help the poor and the marginalized. So, so they weren't getting anything, though, for their taxes. So God says to Jonah, the prophet Jonah... I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach. And it's a, Nineveh is a three-day walk. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them that I'm going to destroy them. Now Jonah only really cared about the real estate from the Euphrates River to the Jordan River. And he only cared about Israel and he wanted God to establish Israel and everybody else leave us alone. And he also knew the character of God. He knew that if he preached, repent, he knew that meant there was a good chance if they repented, God would spare them and God would have mercy on them. And that should make a note of that. The next time you think the Old Testament's just about an angry God who always cursed everybody, remember that. Remember Jonah. Jonah knew who God was and he knew he was a merciful God who wanted to forgive sin and wanted to save people. So Jonah, instead of walking to Nineveh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He wanted to go to Spain. So, so he gets on a ship bound for the southern coast of Spain, and he turned his back on God. And you know the story. God sent a great storm to that ship. They threw him overboard because that's the only way they could calm the storm. He gets swallowed by a great fish. He spends three days in a great fish, has a prayer meeting of his life. His prayer made the fish sick. You want to make hell sick? Get right with God. Get right with God. Hell will get sick and spit you out. And he spit him out, and he, he must have looked a mess. I'm sure his skin was bleached. His hair was sticking straight up. He had slime all in his hair. And he takes a bunch of seaweed, wraps around his neck as a necktie, and he runs for Geneva to preach the gospel finally. But he didn't want... Here's the point of my sermon today. The sermon is called Doing What You Don't Want to Do. He did not want to do any of it. But God blessed him in the realm of his I don't want to's. I think there's something in this for us today. Uh, let's read it. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed in all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decrees of the king and the nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks or uh, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. 
Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, a little bit of background is also important here, and I know I've said it before, but one of the reasons there was such a good response was they had already been prepared for judgment. They had had an earthquake, they had had succession, successive famines, and they'd had a total eclipse. And they were very superstitious in those days. So they believed these were, were all omens from the gods that they were set up for judgment. So when Moses, when Jonah rather, steps into the city of Nineveh and begins to preach this message, they would go, yeah, we better do something about this. Now, why do I call it doing what you don't want to do? Isn't Jonah chapter 3, for those of you that are veteran Christians, and I hope not everybody's a veteran Christian here today, but for those of you that are, you know it should be a message about evangelism or soul winning or missions. But I want to tell you today that everything that God begins to deal with you about in your life is to God's heart about bringing his lost children back to him. If God deals with you about your marriage, it's because God knows a bad marriage makes it difficult to, to share faith and bring lost people to God. God knows a good marriage is a starting point for evangelism and mission work. God, if God deals with you about taking care of your physical body, it's so that you will have the physical energy to go and bring lost people back to him. If God deals with you about prayer, it's because God wants to get you in the place that you can be a missionary to other people and you can bring them to Christ. If God deals with you about going to another level of success in your material life, it's because God wants to give you a bigger platform in order to bring people that are far from him, his lost children, back to him. If God begins to deal with you about going to church more, it's because God wants to connect you in such a way that you can be more effective in bringing lost people back to him. Because let me tell you something, bringing lost God's lost children back to himself is God's obsession. It is God's obsession. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, but it is a reality that the human condition is that we don't want to do what is best for us. We do not naturally want to do what's best for the world. We do not naturally want to do what's best for God or what's best for our own selves. The other day, I missed going to the gym for four days. And I try to go every day at the most every third day. I try to go at least three times a week. And I find I feel better spiritually and mentally. Now, uh, Sherry thinks if I would work harder, I wouldn't need to go to the gym so much. But I would rather go to the gym. <laughs> so anyway, but I, I, I hadn't been to the gym in four days. And I, my thought occurred to me, you need to go to the gym. Every fiber of my being, my mind, my body said, no, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go push on weights. I, I don't want to go on the treadmill or the elliptical. I, I don't want to, I don't want to feel that discomfort today. And then I got to thinking, you know, in fact, I saw these two guys over here at the gym yesterday and I'm told, I told Johnny this morning, I said, if I could talk to my younger self, it would be go to the gym. When I was 18, I would 
I would have never stopped, but I, I waited till I had to have knee surgery and all kinds of stuff to get it through my thick skull that I needed to take care of my body better. Anyway, I thought about the rest of my life. I thought, you know, I can think of a whole list of things that would be good for me, that are good for me and good for the people around me that I don't like to do. I don't like to exercise, really. I have to cultivate that exercise, that, that desire. I, I, don't, I don't want to stop scrolling on social media. I don't want to have difficult conversations with people. Now, some of you like to have difficult conversations with people. But, but I don't have that problem. I don't like having difficult conversations with people. I, I, I don't like to get out of bed the second the alarm goes off. I don't like to avoid the Oreos that Sherry keeps on the counter for the grandchildren. I don't like to challenge my friends. My friends are not there for me to challenge. I don't like to challenge my friends because they might not be my friends anymore if I challenge them. I don't like to listen well when my significant others are talking. I don't like to clean my garage. I don't like trimming my hedges. I don't like being patient with people that annoy me. I don't like to save money. I don't like to give my money away to people who need it. I don't like to invest time in relationships to make them stronger. But the good news is God has engineered the structure of reality so that in this zone, this space of I don't want to's is some of the greatest opportunity for success in your life. The more you get yourself to do hard things, the more you success you'll achieve, Anthony Moore says. Bill Ekstrom says you can only grow in a state of discomfort. Anthony Moore also says you have to do the opposite of what you want to do to get better. Serrano Serrao says if you want to live an exceptional and extraordinary life, you have to give up many of the things that are a part of a normal one. Now, I want to tell you three things today. I don't know why I always have to tell you three things. I could tell you two things, but I want to tell you three things. Maybe it's because there's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's because your body, soul, and spirit. Maybe it's because a, a stool has three legs instead of two. A, one that, a stool that you would want to sit on. There seems to be something important about the number three. I don't know. Pro probably not necessary, right, to tell you three things, but I'm going to tell you three things anyway because this is the way I think. Number one, I want to tell you that getting your own way is usually overrated. Now, Pastor Jay really helped me with a sermon. We had a conversation, and uh, he says to me something like this. He said, you know, when Jonah had the option of telling the sailors on the boat they had a storm, I didn't tell you that part if you haven't read the book of Jonah before, he gets on the ship to go to Spain, to go to the all-inclusive resort, he gets on the ship to go to the all-inclusive resort, and God sends a big, big storm up. He's in the bottom of the boat. The sailors will get him. They bring him up. They say, he's pray to your God. He didn't want to pray to his God. And he said, the only way you'll calm this storm is to throw me into the sea. Now, here's what Pastor Jay said to me. He said, now, he could have said, turn this boat toward Nineveh. But he didn't want to go to Nineveh so bad that he would rather be thrown into the sea then go do what God wanted him to do. He would rather be thrown, he would rather die than do what God 
wanted him to do. Now, how many of you here today will be very honest with me, and you'll show by a raised hand, upraised hand, you'll be very honest with all of us here today, that there's something in your life that you know would be good for you and good for the people around you and good for the world around you that you would rather die than do. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder we can't grow the church more. I mean, you, you would rather die than do the thing that would cause the kingdom of God to grow. Now, don't, don't, you know, I know some of you that probably came and, you know, you're, you've been watching online church somewhere, your church hasn't started again, so you decided to visit here today, and you're like, this was a mistake. We shouldn't have come to this church. <laughs> this guy's going to preach about the things I don't want to do and tell me I have to do them. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But I'm, I, hang in there because I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you something God showed me about how that's accomplished and why, should, why you should do it. And here's what's really interesting to me about this story. They throw this guy overboard and he's down there getting swallowed by a fish and going through his own hell. And we've all done that. We've all done what we wanted to do. We created a storm for everybody. We created all kinds of grief for our family. We created all kinds of grief for our company, whatever, our church, doing our, our thing. And then we went through hell. That's what happened to Jonah. He went the typical archetypal go-your-own-way saga. <laughs> and, but while he's in the belly of the fish, those sailors are having a, having a Holy Ghost revival up on the deck of the ship. Because the storm stopped. Now, very, this is very interesting. When they went down to get Jonah in the bottom of the ship, they said, Jonah, get up and pray to your God. And they used the word for God. They used the word Elohim. Elohim was a generic term for God. In fact, if you see it in the Bible, it's a little g. It was a generic term for God. But after they throw Jonah overboard and the storm is still and they realize they're dealing with the God of Israel. They realize they're dealing with almighty God who created the world and everything in it. The Bible says that they made offerings to God. But this time, instead of the word Elohim, instead of the word for a generic God, they used the word Yahweh. And Yahweh was the covenant name for God that God would refer, when God referred to himself in his, in his relationship with the people Israel, he would refer to himself as Yahweh. So the, the, the sailors on this boat went from a, some idea of a generic God and a whole bunch of gods, a pantheon of gods. They went from there to believing in the God of Israel. And Jonah didn't even want to be there. And he didn't give a flip about him. But God did. That's the secret of having success in the things you don't want to do that God wants to do is God cares very deeply and God is way more powerful than you. And he can, he can do things through your life that you can't dream. And that, that actually brings me to the second point. And the second thing I want to say today is that God overrules our will to give us our deeper desires. Now, we're, see, I know a lot of people think that, um, a lot of people think that when we desire something, that means it's the will of God. 
Well, it doesn't mean it's evil. You have, you have desires. You're probably desiring lunch about now, right? And that ain't evil. That's, that's a good thing. That's a holy desire. But your desires that you naturally have are the desires of the flesh and mind. That doesn't mean they're evil. They're the desires of the flesh and mind. They can be evil. They can be horrible. They can be fine. They can be generic. They can be all over the map. They can be a lot of things. But here's what, here's what, you, here's what you don't know. That you have desires that are deeper than the desires of the flesh and mind. You have the desires of your heart that are deeper. See, Jonah, like I said earlier in the message, Jonah wanted Israel to be strong and powerful and prominent. And he wanted that piece of real estate between the, the Euphrates River and the Jordan River. He wanted them to be firmly established and, be, and the world could leave them alone. He didn't care about the rest of the world because he believed that Israel was God. God belonged to Israel and, God, and Israel belonged to God. Period. End of, full stop. And God, what he didn't understand is that God also cared about the prominence of Israel. But God had bigger boundaries than he did. And God was planning to send the Messiah through the nation of Israel. And that Messiah through the nation of Israel was going to save the world. And not only was that, that Savior Messiah going to save the world, Israel wasn't going to be relegated to some unimportant little nobody and put at the bottom of the heap. But God was going to take the nation of Israel with him to prominence so that Israel would be known to the whole world as the people who brought to us the promises of God, brought to us the covenant of God, and Israel will remain prominent to the end of this whole thing that we're talking about. Israel, will all, Israel is still and always will, will be God's chosen people. Did you notice they were in the news this week? And I'm going to tell you something. They're always going to be in the news the center of God's timepiece. And I'm not, saying every, I'm not saying politically everything Israel does is right. I'm not defending them. I'm not playing the political game, but I'm playing the kingdom of God game. And the kingdom of God says that Israel will always be the apple of God's eye, and God's going to bring them to prominence. And Israel was in the news. They're always going to be in the news. It's amazing when you think about it, right? How many would suspect that God has bigger plans for your life than you do. That God has more important assignment for your life than you do. That God has something in mind for you to do for him. And for you. <laughs> and for the people you love that's way more powerful and way more significant now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, Ephesians says, exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Above all I can ask or think. Jonah just couldn't think big enough. He just couldn't, he just couldn't ask big enough. The, Psalms, uh, Proverbs 37.4, he will give you the desire, or Psalms 37.4, rather, he will give you the desires of your heart. I propose you the desires of your heart are greater than the desires of your flesh and mind. And they're so great, and they're so powerful, and they're so wonderful that you can't imagine and God wants to unleash you onto the world to save the world and to redeem mankind. Hey, we got somebody here today who knows how to push beyond what the flesh would want to do and do what God wants her to do. And she's got a great story for us. And she's going to come right now. You know her. 
I know her as my wife. You know her as Sherry McCutcheon. So Sherry, come and tell us that great story. So I want to first say that um, every single one of us have been called to share Jesus with the world. The Great Commission isn't about whether or not I'm good at talking to people or um, positionally have figured out how to do things perfectly. The Great Commission is just um, clear for all of us. And so for me, um, this is something that I do daily. I, I'm a busy, busy, busy person, and anybody who's around me, you know if you're going to spend time with me, you got to get in your car and go places and stop and then do stuff and then get in your car and go again. But I've tried to practice the discipline of stopping when there are people in my path. The, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan is about stopping and about people. And so um, for me, that has been a daily practice. And I'm going to share some exciting news with you guys. And it's part of this story. Years ago, we started housing um, families that needed a place to stay when their family member was hospitalized in Boston. And we're here in Minden, it's quite a ways away for those families and not as convenient as I would love for it to be. And I think whatever we, should, we do, we should do with as, mo as much excellence as we can. Don't be afraid to start doing something because it's not perfect, but the more you do it, the better it should get. And I really believe that. And so for um, us, um, we knew that if we could somehow get into the city of Boston and partner with the local community there, we could do what I have felt is the right thing to do, and that is the new CNE mission called Room in the City. And uh, we're working to um, establish the ability to pay for, We'll start with one and see where it goes, a space for people in the city. And we're going to be funding that the same way we always fund everything, which is working hard and selling things. And so on Monday, we are moving, beginning the move-in to 122 Charles Street in Boston. And, uh, and so I was there last week um, all by myself, had gone to meet with uh, the owner and just sharing our story and our heart. And I was in the middle of that space and I heard the door open and it was a tiny, tiny little lady, about 91, 92 years old. And she came in and she actually told me that this is where she bought her first piece of lingerie when she was a child. <laughs> She said, I've been in this neighborhood my whole life. She began to tell me her story, how she, she worked hard to be a scientist and ended up at MIT and eventually decided that that world wasn't the world that she wanted to continue living in. You know, if you're present and you stop when people come in and you say, tell me your story, 
everybody I know has the story. And um, so she told me about how she had um, made the decision to go and do her best to make a real difference in the world. And how she had made another decision to become an atheist, that atheism, she asked me if we were associated with the church, because I was telling her that we were a compassion organization, and for her, it, it, it was important to know if we were doing this out of the goodness of our heart or by a mandate of the oppression of the church. And I was able to share with her that, you know, what, what I'm doing is because I firmly believe that love is supposed to be the buffer between our disagreements and that love is that thing that allows us to do whatever is in front of us and, and love is not enough without obedience and that's what Pastor Phil's talking about today. You can feel or have fond feelings but in order to make a difference you've got to be obedient. So. At the end of this conversation, we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that we talked about was her suspicion that there was a lot of evil in organized religion. And so I asked her, have you ever read the Bible? No. She'd been a part of organized religion, but not one that allowed her to read the Bible herself. And so at the end of it, I, I just said to her, well, here's my challenge. Try something new in your 90s. Read the Bible. Just read the Bible. See what you think. You know, use your intellect, use your analytical skills. But I began with her a journey, a friendship journey. You know why? Because I was present and I stopped. And I want to encourage all of you guys. People need you to stop and be present for where they are in their journey. And according to uh, what Sherry told the story to me, the woman agreed that she would go home and she would start reading the Bible. So I predict that she will talk to Sherry again. Um, so, there's power in doing what we don't want to do. There's power in moving where we don't feel like moving. God, number one, getting our own way is overrated. Number two, God overrules our will to give us our deeper desires. And here's something you need to know, and this is really, it was really important to me. Don't feel ashamed. A much better one than you didn't want to do God's will. So don't be embarrassed that you don't want to go have difficult conversations, that you don't want to go serve the way you know you should serve, or that you don't want to do all those incredible things that will make you and the world around you better. Because one much holier, much more righteous than you had the same struggle. 
And he found himself in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Instead of the belly of the fish, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's significant. Now let me read you what he said. Going a little ahead, uh, this is a, a message Bible, by the way. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying, My father, listen to this, if there's any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. What do you want? So you're in very good company if you look at the commitment God is calling you to and you feel oppositional to it. We could mention several others who are in what we call the Faith Hall of Fame who admitted panic and horror over God's call on their lives. We may be, though, today, we have the option of being more like the second Jonah. Jesus was the second Jonah. We have the option of being more like the second Jonah than the first Jonah. Now, let me give you this counsel today. Don't start by trying to do the thing that you should do. That's not the place to start. That's not where Jesus started. Jesus started his journey into doing the difficult. He started it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He started it in the place of prayer. So what I want to send you out of this room to do today is to start with prayer. Remember, the sailors prayed. They invited Jonah to pray, but Jonah didn't want to pray. Uh, even when Jonah was asked to lead in prayer, he refused. Get up and call on God, and Jonah goes, not going to do it. No. Jonah didn't pray until he got into the belly of the fish. And we're going to find out next week, if you read the last chapter of Jonah, Jonah's heart did not change the way God wanted it to change. And he prayed a great prayer. That prayer in the belly of the fish is one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. I love to read that prayer. That is a model for how to pray. But he prayed it in pain. He prayed it in hell. And a lot of the times, the things we pray when facing the consequences of our disobedience, the things we pray in pain, those prayers often do not transform us. Jesus didn't start praying on the cross. He prayed when he had, we prayed when it was a choice. He prayed before he decided what he was going to do. That's the challenge I'm offering to every one of you today is not to necessarily run out here today and go do the thing that you should do. No, I want to challenge you to begin to have a conversation with God. Begin, because let me tell you, here's what happened. Here's what happened to Jesus. I know, you say, he was the son of God. Yeah, he was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. And he lived as a man. He lived with all the limitations that you live with and the emotional and physical limitations that you live with. So in order to do this thing he didn't want to do, he prayed, and he prayed fervently. And at the end of his prayer, the Bible says the angels came from heaven, and they ministered to him, and they enabled him to do what he didn't want to do. 
makes me think of the disciples after Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus had told them they should go preach the gospel. But I don't have time to get into it and lay it out for you. But I will guarantee you, after watching their Lord and Savior getting nailed to a cross, they did not want to go preach the gospel. They did not want to go out on the streets saying, Jesus is Lord. They saw what happened to Jesus. You know what they did? You know what Jesus told them to do? Go to Jerusalem and wait till you be endued with power from on high. Go pray. That's my mandate for you today. And that's my advice for you today is begin to get in a conversation with God about your spiritual condition, about the place that your life is at, and begin to have a dialogue with Him so He not only reveals His will to you, but He empowers you to do His will. Maybe you're like, a book I read when I first started in ministry called The Intercessor by Rees Howell. And Rees Howell said, Lord, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. Now, you can have your battle with God in the belly of the fish. Or you can have, and some of us already have, we know about that. Or you can have your struggle with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. One may get you there, but the other will get you there with power. The other will get you there with not only will you do good for others. Have you ever had a situation where you did, you did the right thing for other people? But it didn't feel, ever feel good to you. I'm telling you, there's a way to go. Being filled with the Spirit. So that you go, and it's not only good for others but it's great for you. And that's the plan that God has for your life. I want us to close us in prayer right now. Maybe you're here today and you never, maybe the thing that you didn't, don't want to do is you don't want to, you don't want to give your life to Christ. You don't want to surrender your will to Him. But circumstances in your life, a storm maybe in your life is telling you, eh, Maybe I, need, maybe I need to do that. I don't really want to do that. Maybe like that dear lady who has all these problems with organized religion that Sherry talked to in Boston. Now she's going to go on a journey. Sherry gave her great advice. Start a dialogue with God. So maybe you're here today and you've had that dialogue. God, you need to cross that line of faith. I want to pray that you will cross that line of faith into the realm of God's salvation today. Remember what I said earlier? Church is not about inspiration and information. It's about transformation. This prayer can transform your life that I'm about to pray. If you will pray it with me. So I want to pray. That. I want to pray for those of you who need to move into obediences that you don't feel comfortable with outside of your comfort zone, but you know, you know it will accomplish a will that's greater than yours. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for us, Lord, anybody who has not crossed the line of faith to make Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. We confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we receive him right now as Savior and Lord. And I pray for those of us in the room, including myself, Lord, 
Because I know some things that you're calling me to do. I know some conversations you're calling me to have that I don't want to have. So God, I'm going to go to you for strength and courage. And I know you're going to enable me to do it. I pray this thing. I pray your blessing on everybody in this room as they go about their day. Let this be an awesome day of fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.